All right, you got it? <laughs> yeah, me either. I know. So I have never, ever preached out of the book of Zephaniah, and odds are good you've never read it. Or if you did, it was like in this reading plan, and you got there, and you read like the first four verses of chapter one. is like, uh-uh, no, this is not for me. Now, if we're not careful, uh, we'll forget and miss that there's a ton of New Testament Jesus found in Old Testament Zephaniah. Okay, it's three short chapters, and here's kind of the skinny on it. Chapter one is ruh Chapter two is really ruh And chapter three is, oh, okay, we're good. All right, so just hang in there with you on the three, okay? But here's the big deal. Zephaniah starts off chapter one, and um, he's not like a typical preacher, pastor, poet, priest. I mean, he just comes out aflaming, right? I mean, he's kind of an Old Testament John the Baptist. I mean, he comes right out of the gate and just goes at it. And so there's no warm-up to Zephaniah. So when we read through the first chapter in a minute, you're going to be like, oh my stars, this guy is ticked off. Okay, little history. Zephaniah is one of what we know as the minor prophets, not because he's lesser, we just know him as the minor prophets, but he's a prophet nonetheless, in the line of King Josiah. Josiah, when he becomes king as a little boy, knows enough to know that the nation of Israel that now he's in charge of, they've really left God you know, in the distance, and they're kind of doing their own thing, and he decides, wait a minute, we need to turn this nation back to God, so he starts getting rid of all the bad stuff. Zephaniah comes along and says, hello, people, we're not getting this done yet, and if we're not careful, churches like ours and plenty of others, we will get so caught up in preaching about and teaching about the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God, that we will forget that the very love of God causes us to need to understand the wrath and the anger of God. Like when I was a kid and I would hear a parent say, this is going to hurt me more than it does you, I thought, that's not true. My backside hurts, right? But as I became an adult, I became aware that, you know, it really does grieve a parent to have to discipline a child. And it grieves us on all kinds of levels. So if we're not careful, we will think that God is just like this heavenly FBI officer that's totally ticked off as us lawbreakers, and he's just waiting to bust us. But the the better view, especially when you see it through the lens of Zephaniah, is to understand that he is a heavenly daddy that is trying to warn his kids that don't mess this up because I've got all kind of good for you if you just choose me over what all the rest of the world offers you. Are you with me? Nod your head if you're with me. You with me? Okay, if, if you're still not there, nod the other way so I can see you. Okay, only five or ten of you, so that's good, all right? You weren't listening anyway, so we're good, all right? But when you look at this, I, here's, here's a line that I want to make sure that you get, all right? A truly inspired view of the love of God. Are you with me? A truly inspired view of the love of God should not obliterate an appreciation for the vigor of the wrath of God. All right? Listen to this again. An inspired view of the love of God should not obliterate an appreciation for the vigor of the wrath of God. So you see, when you look at God's anger, you can look at it through this lens. I don't know why you're so mad at me. I mean, you're the one. I'm not perfect. I mean, you admitted, God, I'm, I'm breaking your laws. 
I mean, why are you mad at me? Or you look at it this way. You know, Dad, you told me that I could have this wonderful life if I chose this path, but I didn't choose that path, so you're trying to correct me because you love me. See, it's just a matter of how you, how you look at God. Now, if you take Zephaniah's perspective of God, it's all about, well, do you want to choose the love of God? Listen to the first chapter. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, a lot of ayahs, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. I mean, he's just a ball of laughs. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. Now, let me just stop there, all right? You're saying, I don't live in Judah. I don't live in Jerusalem. This doesn't apply to me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you understand the context in which it was written, you'll understand the context in which it's read, all right? So if you look at the people of Judah in the city of Jerusalem, then we know the context in which it was written was written to the chosen people of God, the Jewish nation. Now you say, okay, but Chuck, I'm not Jewish. Okay, now watch. But because of what Christ did in the New Testament, Zephaniah is not just speaking to people of the nation of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. He's speaking today to you and I, to the people who have been chosen by God and the people who have chosen God through faith and a relationship in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're part of the church, the God's children, people who have chosen Christ, he's speaking directly to you. And you're saying, whoa, wait a minute, Chuck, I didn't sign up for that. But, but you did. Because you see, you, you can't take the Jesus of the New Testament without seeing him portrayed and described in the Old Testament, foreshadowing what's coming. And Zephaniah says, hey, look here, people of Judah and Jerusalem, but he could have easily been saying in the context today, hey, people of Sugar Hill Church and the folks around Georgia. Are you with me? So as this goes on, he says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I'll destroy you every remnant of Baal worship in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, waiting, wailing from the new quarter and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district, all you merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be destroyed. At that time, I'll search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either bad or good. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. Though they build houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, 
a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I'll bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Wow. <laughs> okay, so you, le- you read that and you think, I'm still looking for the love, Chuck. I mean, I don't, I don't hear that feel good part of this. Oh, but it's there. It's, it's, it's there. It's actually in plain sight. We just have to understand it. You say, but Chuck, I like the New Testament part. I, li- I like the Jesus loves me story a whole lot better than the God's going to wipe me out story. Okay, well, let me take you to Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, the first book of the New Testament in chapter 13, verse 41, listen to what Matthew borrows from the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. You say, but wait a minute, I thought Jesus, I don't understand. How does Jesus and Zephaniah, how do they come together? Because this day of judgment that Zephaniah is talking about, he is specifically reminding us that we are all going to be judged by God and God alone. No no matter who you are, you're going to be judged by God and God alone. But he's specifically talking not about Jesus coming as baby Jesus Christmas time. He's talking about when Jesus returns the second time. And so what we see foreshadowed in the book of Zephaniah is the New Testament return of Jesus. And what he's saying is none of us are going to avoid this judgment. So we need to recognize where our blind spots are because we all have them. There's going to be a day of judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. Remembering that is us, a day of judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. God's judgment is pronounced against Judah because the people, are you ready for this? Here's the big, here's the big picture in this first chapter. Because the people have not sought the Lord. I mean, what we get in verse 6 is this is the basic problem. That we're seeking things other than God rather than chasing after Christ with all of our heart, mind, and soul, we're chasing everything else. He said, well, Chuck, not me. I don't do that. I don't have like an idol bail in my, in my life. I, I don't have that. Well, remember, the key to this is what you seek. What you seek is what you spend your time on. What you seek is what you chase after. What you seek is that which you value most. And so think about the things that you value most in your life right now. So you say, well, Chuck, I don't have a bail, I don't have an idol. And I would argue that we all do. I, I would argue that we all have a bail. For some, some of us, our bail is college football. For some of us, our bail is our bodies. For some of us, our bail is sex. For some of our ba- our bail is a relationship. For some of us, our bail is a political party. For some of us, our bail is a politician. For some of us, our bail is the U.S. of A. For some of us, our bail is whatever we want to chase after that gets ahead of chasing after God. So what Zephaniah is reminding us of is that we all have a tendency for this. We all have a tendency to chase after something other than God. Well, why do we do that? Because we're human. 
the, the entire story of the Old Testament is summed up right here in Zephaniah, which he says, listen, uh, you just have this tendency. The people of Israel, from, from the exodus that Zach mentioned on even into us today as a people of God, we still are people that chase after the Baals of our life. And Baal became not just an, a, a golden calf. Baal became something that they chased after that took the rightful place of God in their life. We all have them. I mean, I, I'm not here to bark at you at yours. I, I got mine. I got stuff that I chase after. We all have them, right? God would cut off every trace of Baal, he says in this scripture, and the cutting off indicates a time that begins with Josiah's attempt to eradicate Baal in 621 B.C. all the way through when Christ comes again. A judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. But he also says that he's going to take and strip the names of the idolatrous priests and the pagan priests. You say, well, Chuck, so what was the deal with them? Well, you had people that were teaching a doctrine that wasn't of God, wasn't of, as they would have known God at that point, as Yahweh, the one true God. So you say, well, Chuck, does that mean that pastors, priests, popes, etc., whoever is out there teaching and preaching, are you going to be held to a higher standard? And the answer is, you doggone right, and we should be. You say, well, what, what about me? I, I, I lead a small group. Am I going to be held to a higher standard? Absolutely, and you should be. But I'm, I'm just, you know, Bob and Sue, follower of Jesus here. I'm just doing my life. Am I going to be held to a higher standard by what I say, what I do, where I'm at? What, what if I just don't want to talk about God and I just leave him in the closet of my life? Am I going to be held to that standard? You're doggone right. You say, well, Chuck, so basically we're, we're all in this boat. Well, yeah, absolutely. But he also says, watch out for those folks that when you choose to build an altar on your roof, at that time they would have had these flat roofs they could have walked up on and, and lived, lived on and been outside. And they would build altars up there so they could worship nature, the stars, the moon, etc. And you say, well, well, Chuck, that doesn't apply to today. Well, sure it does. I mean, we care more about saving a whale than we care about somebody going to hell. Ouch. Well, Chuck, listen, you don't understand. If we don't get this thing, this whole climate change figured out, we're in trouble. I don't know whether we are or not, but it feels like it. But if we don't get Jesus right, that ain't going to matter. Well, Chuck, we, we, you don't understand. The, the politics of America is just, it's, just, it's gone crazy. I, you don't get Christ right, it ain't going to matter who's the president. Well, Chuck, look what happened in Afghanistan. Well, you know what? The answer in Afghanistan is the same answer it is here. We need Jesus and right priority of our life. Amen. Well, Chuck, you don't understand. Was, was, what, those people doing that and those people doing that and those people doing that. But the, Zephaniah is saying, if you'll stop worrying about those people and worry about you and get Christ right in your life, you'll get all this all figured out. The challenge is we, it's just a whole lot more fun to point out what everybody else's mess is. Isn't it? I mean, I, I'd much rather look at your life and say, man, how did they screw that up that bad? I'd much rather do that and look in a mirror and say, Chuck, how did you mess that up that bad? Because I, I can do it, man. I can totally mess up. I, I, Jenny can tell you, I can mess up like doing the best of them. And so can you. Just a reference here he mentions about this God, Molech. And, and it's an interesting thing because... Um, he says that he's going to hunt down and God's going to scour and find those people who swear by the name of the Lord and by this other God. 
What he's saying is, listen, if you want to have it both ways, you can't. You, you can't choose that you're going to serve the world and serve God too. God is a jealous God. He, he, he's not going to be satisfied if you give him 10%, 20%, or 30% of you. He, he wants the whole meal. He wants everything. And you say, well, but Chuck, I want to hold off a little bit over here for this. Well, God's going to say, well, if I don't have all of you, I don't have any of you. Chuck, that's not fair. Well, God never claimed to be fair. God claimed to be just. There's a big difference there. And a just God says, if I don't have all of you, you're like lukewarm water. And what do I do with that? I spew it out. And he says, if you're going to be like this, uh-uh. But, but he, he makes this point, he makes this huge point that the people are to have an interest in following the Lord, an intent, a desire. What does your heart say? Now, sometimes in our American Christianity, we assume that living for Jesus has something to do with what you drink, what you don't drink, what you say, what you don't say, the way you dress, the way you don't dress, where you go, where you don't grow, go. And, and Zephaniah is reminding us, wait a minute, this is about your heart. Everything that matters is a matter of the heart. It's not about the show you put on because we're going to get to heaven and we'll look around and say, dang, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think I'd see them there. But we might look around and say, Wow, I thought they'd be here. Because, see, God doesn't give a hoot about the show you put on. God, God didn't care how, how, how you tried to make people look like you, you got your God stuff together. All God cares about what's going on in your heart. So all that other stuff, God's like, I don't need that. I, I want all of you, and if I don't have your heart, I don't have any of you. And he's reminding us here, and, and I think he, he goes big time in verse 7 where he says, there's, there comes a time where you need to have a call for silence. We need this time of silence. By the way, just a reminder that this call of silence sounds a lot like be still and know that I am God. But if you, if you have made the bail, the, the idol in your life, your busyness, and by the way, I'm talking in a mirror now. If you, if you want to make, you make your productivity your God and, and you want to be so busy that you, you can't fit five minutes of God time in your life, then in essence, he's saying to you, then you don't have any desire to find a silence for the time of God in your life, which has made your bail, your productivity, your job, your calendar. And, and you say, well, Chuck, listen, but, but God has to understand how busy I am. Well, let me just stop and say to you, God, God doesn't give a hoot how busy you are. God says, you mean to tell me that your schedule is so busy you can't give me five minutes? Then in the middle of that, why do you want to call on me when your life falls apart, when I've called on you every day to say, give me five minutes. This church goes to great lengths to give you a podcast five days a week. It's five minutes long. It's just a piece of scripture and a short commentary. And, and you say, but Chuck, I, I, I don't have time to listen to that. Then what I would say to you is, oh, come on. Seriously, you're exactly who Zephaniah is talking about. Met a lady j just this morning said, I, I listened to the Positive Talk podcast last or two Thursdays ago, and I actually went online and did the assessment with Clear Path Counseling. I didn't know anybody out there actually did care. And I'm thinking, all you got to do is take a few minutes and realize there's a whole world out there. Zephaniah calls, Zephaniah calls for silence in the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand. If you can't be still and silent for a little God time, your calendar is your God. Ouch. Chuck, I like it a whole lot better when you do that grace and mercy stuff. 
The day of the Lord's sacrifice comes with three things in particular, he says. One, adopting the lifestyles, customs, and moral behaviors of the world. And it was reflected when he says about you wearing foreign apparel. In that time, what you wore is what you are. I don't believe that's true today. As a matter of fact, I don't think that's at all true today. I mean, you you can dress like a leader and not have a clue about how to lead. You you can dress like some kind of really good Christian and have an evil heart. But in that time, what you wore is what you were. And if you took on the customs of an evil world, it revealed your heart. Number two, demonstrating respect for ancient religious superstitions more than God. Imagine people that would come and worship a building more than they would the God that you came in the building to worship. But we have people that do that. Well, well, but Chuck, I'll tell you what, I, the way I like my Jesus is we, we sing happy songs, you make me feel good, you get it in in under an hour, and I'm out of here. And if you can make that happen, I'm in. Because we, we've decided that God's worthy of an hour. We've decided that, that God's worthy if I like the way you do music, the, the noise level of the music, the song of the music, because I know the music, and because I did it when I was 30, but I like it when I'm 50. And God says, but, but are you here for me, or are you here for the show? Because your heart is revealing itself to God every moment of the day. Number three, bringing symbols and paganism into your homes. And he specifically says, into the master's houses with violence and deceit. You say, but Chuck, I don't have violence and deceit in my home. Well, let me ask you this. Do you you have the opposite of that in your home? Are you seeking after peace found in a relationship with Christ? Are 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 you seeking after resolution and hope? Did you, are you a family like well, the one I grew up in where that was just critical of everything? I mean, critical, critical of what somebody sounds like on TV, what they look like on TV, what they said on TV, how they sang on TV. I mean, do you watch one particular news show all the time and just adopt that as your theology? Because if so, you're inviting that exact kind of deceit into your home because you're putting something else ahead of God's desire for your own heart, and that is him, not the news. Over in 1 Peter, again, another New Testament perspective, talking about the household of faith, says, for it's time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Hmm. But then it says it's going to begin at the fish gate. That's where it gets interesting. You're like, that sounds gross. Don't want anything with a fish gate. All right? The fish gate and the outer court, or the second quarter that it's talking about, would have been today's Wall Street. Right? This is where commerce was taking place on the outside gates of Jerusalem. It's where the fish came in. It's where the commerce took place. It's where the rich po- folks hung out. This is where the skyscrapers were. Right? This is what's going on. All right? This is Wall Street in Jerusalem. And he's saying, right there, you don't have enough going on there to be able to fix you because God's going to search Jerusalem with lamps and punish men who are settled in complacency. What kind of complacency? He says the kind of complacency, he says, eh, God doesn't care. Who cares? Let's just do our own thing. Matter of fact, we got plenty of money. We're going to be fine. You don't have to worry about that. I mean, the cynical citizens and leaders of Zephaniah's day, they, they doubted that God would even show up and be a part of anything. It was like, dude, just 
pad your bank account, get ready for retirement. God doesn't care. I mean, if he shows up good, I mean, I got enough money that if I got enough money, when all this judgment happens, we're good. The problem is the scriptures are clear from Genesis to maps. You ain't going to buy God and you're not going to buy your way into heaven and you're not going to buy your way into God's good graces. Does he love you? Absolutely. Is there anything you can do to make him not love you? No. See, here's the question. If I've lost you, come back, because I want to finish up here. But watch, watch this. If I've lost you, come back to this thought. The question for many of us when it comes to like 9-11 in the years and the 20 years past and everything we've done, we've heard a lot in news shows and reflections on 9-11 in the past week that talk a lot about being on the right side of history. The question is not, are we on the right side of history? The question is, are we on God's side of heaven? And the question for you and I is not, am I going to be on the right side of history when judgment time comes, but am I going to be on God's side of heaven? Zephaniah says the day is not going to be a period of 24 hours as in a day. He's saying it's going to be a period of time encompassing the second coming of the Messiah, Jesus the Lord. See, what, what Zephaniah is saying to you is this. Jesus came and we got the New Testament started off with a bang, He's saying there's a, there, there's a time coming when the Messiah is coming. And the Messiah is going to be born in this little stable in Bethlehem. And shepherds going to come. That's going to be cool. We're going to have drummer boys. We're, we're going to have snow. We're, I, mean, it's, I mean, who knew it was snowing in Bethlehem? We had no idea. You know, and you, I mean, you had donkeys. I mean, we got the whole thing, right? Zephaniah is saying, yeah, that's coming. But when he comes back another time, He's not coming as a baby, and he's not coming to a stall. He's coming with a crown and a scepter, and he's going to bust heaven wide open. And when he shows up, he's going to say, all right, who's with me? And my question to you is, which side of heaven do you want to be on? Because he's going to take all of those who are with him. You say, but well, am I still going to have the judgment? Well, yeah. Well, none of us escape the judgment. But here's the good news. What if, what if your judgment could simply be, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. I've forgiven everything. Come on in. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but dude, I'm, I'm in on that. I'm, I'm totally in on that. Especially when, when Jesus makes a point in the New Testament, and, and he goes on and says, when, when people say, but what is the most important thing in the world? He didn't go back to Zephaniah. Zephaniah is pointing out to Jesus. Jesus doesn't point backward, he points forward. He says, listen, because I am willing to forgive you of all of your past, I'm going to give you heaven for your future. And I'm like, yes, this is why I need to heed Zephaniah's message because he's trying to say God loves you so much, he has a plan for you to genuinely succeed and thrive in this life and then have heaven for all eternity and that judgment then while it's coming is now safe for you. Because listen to me, Jesus isn't coming because he's mad. Jesus is coming because he's righteous. Jesus isn't coming because he's ticked off at you. Jesus is coming because he loves you. Zephaniah is not telling you God's mad at you. God's saying, I've got such a great plan for you. Why don't you take me up on it? And you see, when we look through that lens, we recognize, yeah, there is a day of judgment is coming. Why? Because we sinned against the Lord, according to verse 17. 
The whole thing is because we've sinned. And then nothing's going to save the people of Judah now, he says. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. So in other words, everything that we hold dear in our American dream, God's going to say, but none of that counts. You say, well, Chuck, it counts now. Well, that, that may be true. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to deny that. I mean, it, it, uh, I, it's good to have a few bucks, right? And I, I don't want to, I don't want to bash anybody who's out there trying to kill it. I mean, go get it. But don't put it ahead of God. Because if you put that ahead of God, then you've just created a bale. And Zephaniah has told you the problem. So you look at this and you realize the, the Lord in his anger is because of his righteousness and he love for us. A day of universal judgment. There's no escaping it. A day of judgment on Judah and Jerusalem, Sugar Hill in America. A call for silence. Be still and know that he is God. It is his way or no way. A day of judgment on God's people, we the church. A day of judgment on the world, every single person. And you sum it all up with these five quick statements. A day you are judged, a day we are judged. A time that we need to stop and know that he is God. A tough look at we, the people of God. And a day of judgment that we can avoid because of Christ's love for us. When you came in today, you received a little mirror. Would you pull that mirror out for a minute? That little mirror, one side's got on it, we affectionately call it our dot. It's our cross that we use on all our stuff. But I want you to take this mirror. If you're at home, just grab your phone and open up your camera and flip the camera around so you can see yourself. Hold that mirror up right there. Boy, I got some bags underneath those eyes today. Whew. Lord of mercy. You know, I've noticed, Jen, gravity's taking hold of my cheeks and they're pulling it down. I got these marks right here. I got to get some Botox. That'd be like Tim trying to eat those peaches and it'd be falling out my mouth. That'd be funny. You know what else? I got wrinkles in places that, holy cow, I got age spots, baby. What the heck? But when you look in that mirror, do any of these things apply to you? I mean, is it possible that when I look in here, I say, boy, Chuck, you know, you got, you got some gods in your life that you, you put ahead of Yahweh, the true God, occasionally. Sometimes, a lot of time. Chuck, you got, you got things that you chase after that God doesn't desire in your life. Chuck, there are times when you, you want to have, you want to say yes to the world and yes to God and have it both ways. Chuck, there's sometimes you, God puts somebody in your life and you're supposed to be an encouragement to them and you just want to blow them off and move on. Boy, Chuck, some, sometimes you're just, you're just not faithful to your calling. What do you see when you look in a mirror? Take one more look. I also see somebody that God loves and created. And as weird as he looks in this mirror, God, God had a plan for that dude. And he has a plan for you. And he loves you so much that he warns you.
I've got such a cool life. If you just want to just take me up on it. So God, today, thank you that for this message. We hear you and we know you and we want to respond to you by saying, we want to call on your name and just say, God, come step into our life and give us the courage to, to walk your way. Maybe just, maybe just today, just today, just one step at a time, just right now. The next step, I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not gonna bring hate into my home. I'm gonna be an encouragement to the people in my path. I'm gonna seek after God. I'm gonna give him five minutes of my day every day this week. It's that simple. And it's just a step in the right direction. And when God sees your heart having that intent, I promise you, God will bless that richly. It's not about becoming super Christian tomorrow. God, I'm grateful this isn't about how we dress or act. or This is about our heart. So God, when we look in the mirror, remind us that we are your creation. And you made no mistake when he made your, your wonderful creation, including us. So give us the courage to walk with you this week. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. I know the hour's late. Let's stand and sing our way out. I wrote down, Zach, this little uh, sticky note I put in my Bible. The note I wrote to myself this morning was, Chuck, trust the spirit of the living God today. How horrible it is that you got to write a reminder to yourself, trust the spirit of the living God today, but I needed that. But I also wrote down these words. I will praise you on the mountain. I'll praise you when the mountain's in the way, in the highlands and the heartache, all the same. I wrote down, I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm not going back. I wrote down, great things are still to come. I wrote down, I just can't get over. My name is registered in heaven. That my testimony was that God took me from death to life. Come on, let's sing. Spirit of the living God. Come on, church. Spirit of the living God. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. this place today and give us the courage to walk with you talk with you along life's narrow way and that we our heart would be captivated to chase after you this week God we're grateful that you love us in spite of us and we want to hear this warning in our life that this week we might have every intent and every desire to walk with you and give you this time that we're instilling on our heart for we love you in the name of Jesus we pray
So my friend, let this Jesus we've talked about go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. That's what he does. Let him go ahead of you and, oh my stars, he cannot wait. Let him go within you, bring you peace, joy, fulfillment, and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved. And in days where things get difficult and dark, let him come behind you and pick you up and carry you, not around the problem, but through the middle of it, only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you so you can hear him say up close and personal my child say it with me i love you god bless you go in peace